Thanks, Chris, very much indeed. We're soldiering on, or uh, flying on, depending on your perspective, this uh, series uh, on healing, hashtag God heals, keep the conversation going online. All you need to uh, pick up the story for the things that you've missed is there, forward slash healing. The first two uh, teachings in this series uh, kind of pave the way, uh, are the foundation to everything that follows. So I'm not going to repeat that foundation week on week. I'm going to assume that it's in place. So if you missed out on either of those first initial sermons, then it's well worth taking the time to catch up with them. And just as I said last week, we're aware that not everyone uh, had spotted that not only can you get the, uh, the podcasts, uh, so if you get onto the website forward slash healing, you'll get a kind of uh, uh, an image like that. You can click on the left-hand side in order to get the podcast. But what we've discovered that lots of people didn't know and might find useful, if you click on the right-hand side, you can get the slides and everything there. And as I said last week, if you use iTunes, then you can have it all delivered directly to your uh, mobile device. Why you would is another matter, but you can do it uh, all the same. And uh, those of you who use RSS feeds are probably intelligent enough to know how to work out how to get that from that same page as well. Okie doke. Today, healing the mind. Now, we usually think or we often think when we talk about healing the mind of uh, uh, mental illness and things associated with that. Um, uh, That's not really what I'm talking about this morning. Most of what we talk of as mental illness is about the way we feel, so uh, depression, either physical or emotional, whatever the source, makes us feel uh, a certain way. What I want to particularly focus on this morning is how we think uh, and the way that we think uh, and how that is part of the healing journey. Rid yourselves of the old self. There are ways of thinking that we will need to rid ourselves of as we embrace God's healing of our lives. And that's what I'd like us to spend our time thinking about this morning. Remember that uh, this healing journey nudges us step by step to uh, a state of wholeness. It's not just about our body. Uh, but it is about our body. It's not just about our mind, but it is about our mind. It's not just about our emotions, but it is about our emotions. And as we've, de- as we've developed these different aspects over these weeks, I hope you can see how uh, the, not are they um, just a little bit connected, but they are totally and uh, intricately connected. And what happens in one sphere of our lives uh, directly often relates what's going on and what happens in another area of our lives. So changing our thinking then is an essential part of healing. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by changing the way that you think. Be transformed by thinking differently, using your mind in a different way. It's easy to think no pun intended, it's easy to think that our thoughts don't matter very much. After all, they're just thoughts. It's just something that's going on in my head. What goes on in your head matters because it creates for you a reality out of which you will then live. 
There is no such thing as something that just goes on in your head and stays there. What you think creates for you a reality. We looked at this idea last year in our Ezekiel series. You may remember we worked our way through Ezekiel and we got to that particular uh, moment when Ezekiel is talking to the people about sour grapes. And uh, if you want to think more about what I'm saying this morning, it's well worth going back to that sermon, forward slash sovereign. You get it there, sour grapes, the slides are there, all of that, all that stuff. Um, because it, it, it gives a different angle on what I'm talking about this morning. But I began in the same place, that our words create reality. When God spoke in Genesis chapter 1, what happened? When you were reading the Bible, you started not at the beginning, you started midway, so none of you have read Genesis 1. Started with the fun bits, Leviticus and stuff. Genesis chapter 1, God speaks, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Because God's word is so powerful, it creates a reality. We are made in his image, and our words, maybe in a lesser sense, but they're equally true, our words are also create a reality. When Jesus came to transform our lives, to call us out of darkness into his glorious light, the gospel of John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh. Jesus, creating a new reality, was described by God as his word, because words are enormously powerful. Our words create reality. And when we did that Sovereign series, I showed you the picture of this little fella. He's not any little fella. He's Claire and Rich's son, uh, Sam. And uh, uh, he's a gorgeous little fella. Wouldn't you agree? But what if we told him he was ugly? What if we told him he was ugly? It wouldn't be true, would it? <laughs> Some of you are going, mm. it wouldn't be true, would it? No. But imagine if, if at the daily routine was to present to Sam that he was ugly. What reality would that create for Sam? What would he feel about himself? How would that affect the way that he would go on to behave and grow up? Your words are so powerful that they can create a reality out of which you or others then begin to live. Our words are that powerful. Thoughts are exactly the same. The only difference between a word and a thought is that not everybody can hear a thought, but people that are near enough can hear the word. So a thought is a word in your head that you hear, God hears, the enemy hears, nobody else does, sometimes that's just as well. But there's no difference between a thought and a word because wherever that thought, that word is heard, it will begin to create a reality. Remember the verse that is so important. In fact, I was teaching one of my children this verse this last week. It is so important. It is one of the life lessons, in my humble opinion, that everyone needs to learn and understand, and as adults, we're still learning to understand it and put it into practice. Take every thought 
captive and make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So there are all these thoughts, all these words, and we know that thoughts and words create reality. It might be a false reality, but it's a reality that affects our lives nonetheless. And what Paul is saying here, the thoughts, the words that fill your mind, that were round in your head, you must take control of them. Your thoughts must be controlled. If you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts will control you, period. That's absolutely the truth. If you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts will control you. And the trouble comes when we don't control our thoughts and we allow those thoughts to control us and all of those thoughts, many of them fill our minds, are creating a reality that may be far from the truth. But a reality that is so powerful that it affects the way we feel and affects the way that we live. Children and adults must learn to take every thought captive and make that thought serve, be obedient to, come under the authority, align itself with the truth of Jesus Christ. A thought comes in different ways. Someone says it to you. Boom, that thought's in your head. The enemy whispers it to you. Boom, that thought's in your head. You're lying there one day, and out of nowhere it seems, boom, there's a thought in your head. Or does that just happen to me? Thoughts come in these different ways. But what happens next is the mark of whether you're walking towards healing or staying where you are. Thoughts come from all over the place. The mark as to whether you're walking towards healing or staying as you are is what you do next with that thought. Many thoughts will come, and you have a choice. Either to accept the thought as it is, or to make that thought align with Jesus Christ. Which sometimes will mean rejecting the thought completely, sometimes it will mean changing the thought, and sometimes as you grow in Jesus and your thoughts become more like him, simply embracing it because it's in line with Jesus, his will, and his way. If a thought is not in line with Jesus and we accept it, it begins to create a reality. And if that reality is not in line with Jesus, then it's taking our lives down a path that we don't want to go. Agreed? There are two paths, the narrow uphill one or the wide destruction one. Which one do you want to go for with your thoughts? And so we have this choice with every thought. And thoughts need to be controlled, and they need to be brought into alignment with Christ. If we choose to allow each and every thought to create a reality in our lives, then we will build a reality around us that is less and less in line with God's purpose. Can you see how that might work? When we make an agreement with something... It has a really powerful effect on us. People believe they are ugly, useless, can't do much. Just because of thoughts and words, that's what started it. That's what made it happen. They uh, believe lies spoken about them, and they've agreed with them. Is that Christ's truth? Is that the real truth? No, absolutely not. 
but they've aligned themselves unwittingly. We align ourselves unwittingly with things that are not true and we create a false reality that powerfully affects our lives. And the reason it powerfully affects our lives is because of something else that happens in our thoughts and with our words. And Jesus says, look, you've got to be really careful with what you do, the way that you think, the way that you respond, that you don't give the devil a foothold. That's not Ephesians 4, verse 6 to 27, is it? That's not very many verses. That is just verse 27. Ephesians 4, verse 27. Do not give the devil a foothold. When we agree with something that isn't true, which spiritual reality are you aligning yourself with? Not God. And there's God, and then there's the father of lies, Jesus says. So when you align yourself with something that isn't true, you might not mean to, you might not intend to, it might not be on your radar, but you are naturally, instinctively aligning yourself with a spiritual reality that isn't true, that is ungodly, that comes under the father of that which is untrue, the father of lies. And Jesus says, look, the reason you've got to be so careful about this is that when you align yourself with something on earth, it creates a reality in the spiritual world. Whatever you loose on earth gets loosed in heavens. Whatever you bind on earth gets bound in the heavens. There is a a spiritual reality. We're not just flesh and blood. We're not even flesh and blood with sort of emotions and feelings. We're flesh, blood, emotions, feelings, and a spiritual reality. And what happens in the spiritual world, more than I think we ever know or realize, uh, causes a reality in our physical worlds too. So Jesus says it's really serious what you think, what you align yourself with, what you agree with, what you accept as true. But it happens oh so subtly. The enemy is subtle. He comes along as a slithering snake and says, did God really say? And and he talks what seems to be sense to you. And he wraps us up in knots. But every single time we listen to something, either that's spoken to us or is in our heads, we think something and we say in our hearts, you know, that's the truth, isn't it? when it isn't the truth, every time we do that, we put a little wrap of cord around us. We lock ourselves in. We align ourselves with the wrong spiritual reality. There are two types of thoughts that I want us just to think about in these next few moments. There are agreements and there are vows. There are agreements and there are vows. And Before we talk about and illustrate, lots of illustration coming, so almost the theology is out of the way in that sense, or laying a foundation. Before we think about agreements and vows and how that actually works in our lives, um, let's just wind back to last week. And last week we were talking about how the way we, we get wounded and those wounds hurt us and they need God's healing, but it's often our reaction to what's happened to us that causes us the greatest trouble. Anyone remember that from last week? So we're thinking about the way that we react. And the trouble with those reactions is we feel so justified. You'd react like that if that happened to you. 
And we feel so uh, self-righteous in reacting in a wrong way because of what's happened. And what's happened to us might be totally dreadful, not undermining that in any way, shape or form. But our ungodly reactions, even in the face of huge suffering, can cause us more difficulty than the suffering uh, itself. And one of the biggest wrong reactions are the agreements and the vows that we make in response to things that have hurt us and things that have wounded us. So that today is, is, a, is really important in understanding how we might have reacted to a situation that still troubles us. Because it's in our reaction, probably, more than the wound itself, that we will find the greatest measure of healing. Let's think about agreements for uh, a moment. We experience a situation and we then agree with the false truth that it suggests. So, for example, you felt a bit low last January, January 2013, and then this last winter, you know, you started feeling a bit low again. And before you know it, you've begun to think about, do you know, I I always feel low in January. And someone talks to you about the year and you go back, you know, I tend to feel low at that time of year. And before you know it, you've accepted a reality about how you feel in January, February, beginning of a year. Do you understand how that might work? So what starts off as a, is maybe just a one-off, I'm feeling a bit low in January. And there's plenty of reasons to feel low in January. And feel it becomes, becomes something that you take on and you begin to embody, you know. I always feel low in January. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I always feel low in January, guess what's going to happen in January 2016? You don't need to be a rocket scientist to work that out, do you? There is an inevitability about it, just in our human way of thinking. Imagine if we take the truth of what Jesus says about spiritual realities and and bring that on top. And the enemy loves to to sit on our weakness. And guess what? Next January, you'll be feeling low and so on and so forth. So you made an agreement. And that agreement ultimately begins to bind you. So we agree with a false truth that comes out of an experience uh, and 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 instead of rejecting it and saying, no, actually, I don't need to feel low every January. I'm going to walk through January. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to walk out of that situation. We accept it. And we make an agreement with it. And it's the agreement that that binds us. We agree with feelings too. So imagine you've had a really mega busy week. You're totally stressed out. You come to church for a bit of R&R. That's why you're here, isn't it? A bit of rest and relaxation. That's why you came. Yep, yes, that's right, that's why, yep, you get, and, and, and then someone, can't imagine who, starts talking from the front about how God wants you to live a missional life, and you feel guilty, and you feel overwhelmed, it's a feeling, you feel guilty, you feel overwhelmed, because you're stressed out, you don't know which way to turn, you feel overwhelmed, uh, and suddenly the enemy goes, hey, you're too busy for a missional life. And you go, yeah, that's right. I'm too busy to live a missional life. I'm too busy to live a missional life. And it seems so obvious and so normal, but you've just agreed with a reality that is totally opposite to what Jesus said. Jesus said, go in your comings and goings, in your ordinary life, make disciples. Jesus who made you, who created you, gives you all the days of your life, says that that's true for you. 
Can you see how in that moment you felt quite justified? How insensitive of that idiot at the front to tell me that I've got to find room for mission. Does he not know how busy my life is? Sorry. Awkward. But you've agreed with a... Can you see how that might work? And you've agreed in your spirit, hey, I'm too busy. You're right. And you begin to create a reality around yourself that living a mission life is just impossible because, hey, I'm too busy. My life's too busy. And what we've done is we've aligned ourselves with something that isn't true. And we've turned our back on the Jesus who is true, who says, actually, I've got a rhythm for your life. We're in your comings and your goings. You can make disciples, and I will be with you to the end of the age. And Do you want to come and use the microphone, Nancy? just want to say that I've found myself in that place where you believe a lie, where you think that you have to do all the things you have to do. Um, I recently gave up work, and it's just been amazing. What God is laying before me is amazing. So, you know, I'm not suggesting for one minute that everybody gives up their jobs, but um, if you are drawn to do something, and I just wish I'd done it years ago, Um, but you believe the lies. You believe that you have to work, that you're needed in your job, that your job is special and, you know, it sort of defines you, but, you know, it's not your work that defines you. It's God's work in you that defines you. Brilliant. Thank you. You might like to thank Nancy. It's a brave thing to do. I think the rather half-hearted applause Nancy was, they know you're telling a lot of truth and it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Because we make agreements with things all the time that seem so right and seem so... so and and they're, they're, they're subtle, aren't they? They're, they're not quite total lies. They're half-truths, aren't they? Is it true that Nancy was doing a really important job? Of course. Is it true that she was really valued in that? Oh, of course. But that's not the whole truth in the economy of God. And so we make these agreements all of the time. But think about what you're doing when you make an agreement. If I'm saying to myself, I'm too busy to live a missional life, what kind of spirit am I loosing into my comings and goings? Who am I aligning myself with? How likely is it that I'm going to break through in mission? And so the agreements begin to take hold and we begin to build on them and they are false. So experiences, and we agree with a false truth. Feelings, we agree with the false truth that they create. And, and there are so many of these. I we hear them all the time in ordinary life. Listen out for them. I get every virus that comes along. Heard somebody say that? Ooh, that's awkward. And some people, mm, yeah. I'll never lead anyone to Christ. No one will ever get healed if I pray for them. Ouch. Good things are always taken away. There'll be lots of people in this room that have thought like that. Or, um, if there is a good thing, there will soon be a bad thing. Something bad is always around the corner. Yeah, something bad is always around the corner. Well, guess what? Nothing ever works out for me. Oh, 
I'll never be good enough. Or, perhaps another way of that, I need to in some way prove myself. Maybe you long to please your parents. One day you came home with an A star and your parents said, well, it must have been an easy exam then. And, and, it, and you, you, my dad laughed a bit too loud then. It's awkward for him, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you live, I, I'm trying to prove something. I always need to, I'll never quite make it. Or people live. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I use Sam as an example because it's so bizarre. People grow up believing they're ugly, believing they're not beautiful, believing that no one will love them, believing that in any group they'll be the one that's on the outside, believing that they're not liked. And can you see how that agreement that we make absolutely holds us bound? That agreement that we make creates for us a reality out of which we then go on to live. And we are brilliant at fulfilling our own prophecies. So we need to be careful. What are the thoughts that I'm agreeing with and aligning myself with? Really grateful for Sarah who's going to come and share just a little bit of a a testimony of her journey that helps give us another kind of window and reflection on all of this. Um, I was 24 when I first gave my life to Jesus and, oh, this is scarier than I anticipated, bear with me. Um, and it was a really positive and exciting time for me. Um, I just met Mark, uh, so we got married, we bought our first house, then we had children really quickly. Um, and I loved church, and I loved all that that added to my life. And I think over time, I came to think that I had a debt. Um, I was really grateful to God for saving me. Um, and then for giving me Mark and the kids and everything else. And I came to believe that I had a lot to prove. Um, and I made an agreement that I owed God. And I volunteered for all sorts of things over time. And I became aware that I loved working with young people. So I thought, oh, bonus. You know, I can pay God back doing something I love. Uh, but when I got the job here, I think I felt that I had even more debt to pay. Because God had answered another prayer, and now I had more to prove. And please understand that I know logically that's not how it works, but this is the agreement that I'd made. Um, And that was okay with me. I'm naturally busy, and I loved what I was doing. And then, uh, at the beginning of this year, I got tonsillitis, which I ignored, um, which turned into a tonsillar abscess, which I did my best to ignore. Um, until Mark dragged me semi-conscious to the hospital. And I was off for three months in all. And I think it would tell you something about my state of mind if I tell you that as I was being taken down to theatre, I sent Simon an email saying, sorry for the inconvenience, I think I'll probably be back next week. Um, And that was kind of the theme over the next two and a half months. Um, as I became more and more anxious that not only was I not paying down my debt to God, but it was increasing because people were being nice to me and this was increasing the debt. Uh, So mentally, I became really low um, and I was full of infection. (laughs) You know, it spread to my throat and my ear and my sinuses and everywhere. 
Um, so I was very, very poorly. And my main feeling was just sorry, you know, sorry, Mark, that I can't put the kids to bed, that I can't hang the washing out. And he kept saying, it's fine, it's fine, sit down, rest, doesn't matter. Sorry, Simon, they've written me off work for another three weeks, but I'll probably be back in one, but sorry. And he kept saying, no, it's fine, don't worry, take the time, rest. And please, Kerry, can you stop people bringing me round meals? Because I don't deserve them, and I'm being such a pain, and I'll never pay everyone back. And Kerry, as it's her way, ignored me and said, no, they're, they're organised for another month, we'll talk about it then. And I would sit for hours on my sofa, just planning how I could repay people, how I could pay down that debt. Um, and then some people came to pray with me. And I heard God tell me that he loved me, not for what I was doing, for the work that I could do, uh, but for who I am. And that I have nothing to prove and nothing to earn. And I remember afterwards, <laughs> I sat crying, and Izzy, my eight-year-old, came in and asked me what the matter was. And I explained to her that I just realized that God doesn't love us for our worthiness, but for who we are. And she said, in eight-year-old style, well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) And I tried to explain to her that that wasn't obvious to me. Um, (laughs) That wasn't how I'd been taught. That wasn't how I'd been brought up. That wasn't obvious. Uh, But she nipped it in the bud. She said, well, it's obvious to me. And also, it's obvious that God loves you, and he always will, even though you're being a bit thick. (laughs) So I healed really quickly, physically, after that, and I was soon able to resume my normal life. Um, But without that desperate need to prove myself, uh, so I still work really hard with my kids because I love them. And I still work really hard with the young people because I love them. Um, but not because I'm striving and pushing. Um, So the prayer now is that I don't slip back into my old ways and also that I continue with that progress and work through the other stuff that God's highlighted. And I have a big cross-shaped scar in the back of my throat from the surgery. Um, And on some days, I can feel that aching and inflamed. And on those days, I stop and I spend time with God and just try and get myself back on the right track. So I've spoken to lots of people, believers and non-believers, about my illness, and many people tell me that God didn't heal me, that eventually the antibiotics got control of the infection, and that's what healed me. But I know differently. I know that God healed my heart and my mind, and he changed me, and he healed the damage from my childhood. He lifted off the striving and the straining that I've lived with all those years. Um, And then he did the simple bit and took away the infection. So cool, eh? But notice, don't miss. Don't miss that it's subtle. If you would have asked Sarah... Does God love her? If you would have said yes, because that's the Christian answer. That's what she would have known in her head, like we all do. But something different can sometimes go on in here and in here. Quickly, vows, agreements, second responses, vows. So something happens, an experience happens, and we respond by saying, I will never, or I always will. Are there things for which you say, I will never, or I always will, 
but are aligning yourself with the wrong kingdom. It's a promise that you make, a vow that you make to yourself in response to a feeling or an experience. Maybe crying was frowned upon as a child, even punished as a child, and after one punishment, after one frowning on, you said, I will never cry again. Or with a particular mother, father, grandparent, sibling, uh, you cried or or something happened in front, I will never do that again. I will never let them hurt me like that again. So we do that in relationships, for example. Uh, uh, We we get hurt because relationships hurt, don't they? Relationships are are painful, hard to work through. Uh, And we got close to someone and we got hurt. And we say in our spirits, I will never get close to someone like that again. I'll never allow that to happen to me again. What are we doing? We're pushing down the crying emotion, the God-given release. We're we're pushing down the, the ability to be close to someone else. And our relationships can struggle, obviously, as a result. Because I'm saying, I'm never going to allow that to happen to me again. It can be normal, everyday things in life. Um, Kerry and I, with a few of our friends, were in, I um, um, uh, don't know where we were, Canary Wharf, and we went into a lift with all our kids were young, and we went into this lift, the door closed behind us, and it went pitch black, all the lights out, and it started to descend in the darkness and stop, no doors opening, pitch black, all the kids are there. <laughs> this is fun, children, isn't it? This is great. We love lifts. What a jolly time we're all having in this lift. <laughs> Absolutely not. When will those doors open? Eventually, the doors open, and we all go out, and it would be really easy to go, I'm never going in a lift again. Or, I'm never going to take my kids in a lift again. And so every time there's a lift, I take the stairs. Why are you taking the stairs? Oh, I just need the exercise. No, it's because you made an agreement. I'm never going to take a lift. Uh, and, and it's millions of things we do this with, not millions of things, lots of things we do this with. Uh, and we, we circumvent situations because we've made a vow in response. And you might say, oh, it's perfectly reasonable not to go and lift again. You had a scary experience. Yes, I did have a scary experience, but most people go up and down and lift every day without any problem, really, or they wouldn't have any lifts around, would they? You don't go, oh, if you go in that lift, 50 50. <laughs> you know, that's just not the way it works, is it? But we live like that. 50 50. You were in a crowd, and you got humiliated, and you go, I'm never going to let that happen again, so you always stay on the edge. You had a go at something, and you failed, and you hated that feeling, I'm never going to allow that to happen again, so you stop trying. Only do things you know you'll exceed at. Grief. Grief is a very real, obvious emotion, very normal emotion, but in grief, we can make agreements. I'm never going to be happy now. Now, that's a perfectly understandable thing to say, isn't it? But it's a a vow, an agreement, nevertheless. My life is over, we might say, in the midst of grief. Perfectly understandable, absolutely reasonable. Got to work through all the anger, all the pain, all the sense of loss, not denying any of that. When uh, the grieving process in the Old Testament was several years, it's not a quick fix. But we need to be careful what agreements that we make as we walk through it. We talk about people dying with a broken heart. And that's true. Forgiveness is obviously a massive one, isn't it? I'll never forgive them for what they did to me. So significant that we'll look at that next week, I think. So, what are you loosing in your life because of the agreements and vows that you make or have made? What are you uh, creating in your reality A very simple model to close. 
identify the vow or the agreement. Maybe I've said one this morning and you've gone, mm, I relate to that. Maybe even as I was talking, another one came to mind. Holy Spirit knows us, can search us, can give us exactly what we need. So identify the agreement or the vow. And the first thing that we need to do once we've identified it is to be willing to speak it out. What stays locked up in our minds in the dark, in the secret place, will always have a hold on us. The first step into freedom is to own it. Go, yeah, I've made that agreement. I can see now I've lived with that agreement and I was wrong. I'm going to turn from it. I'm sorry. This is wrong. I reject it. I renounce it. I turn from it. I'm not accepting my life living under that agreement anymore. And then very simply, we can break the power in the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus died for all our messed up lives, didn't he? When he died on the cross, he died for every bit of brokenness. And when he was risen, when he rose again, when God raised him from the dead, it was a sign that every chain has been broken. So I can break that agreement that I made in the name of Jesus. We can speak that breaking over other people. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of those words. Fourthly, we need to declare the real truth. So whatever the opposite is of the agreement that you've made, that's the lie. I'm now declaring the truth. Declaring the truth can be almost as hard sometimes as breaking the lie because the, the lie is so identified with us. We so uh, understand its reality in our lives. And so if you feel, if you've been made to feel all your life that you're ugly and as a result you think you're ugly, it's really hard to look in the mirror and say I'm beautiful. That's true, isn't it? Really hard thing to do. These things have real power. But in the name of of Jesus, we can break the power of things that are not true. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then finally, there's probably some pain to mop up. Where, why did you make that agreement? What, what, caused, what, what caused you to make that agreement? What caused you to make that vow? Once the, the agreement's been broken, the power of the vow has been broken, allow Jesus to heal where, wherever it came from, and that's usually a piece of cake because it's the vow that's holding you strong. I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to take us through those uh, five steps in, um, in, in the next two or three minutes. That's all it's going to take this morning to do that. Uh, so if there's an avow or an agreement that you know uh, God's put his finger on, I invite you to stand. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you highlight things in our lives only because you want to free us and rescue us. It's not a condemning moment. This is a releasing moment. Thank you, Lord. And so I just ask you in your mind, and if, the, if you're not standing, just pray for those that are around you. We're in this together. It's not that you guys that are sitting have never made vows or agreements. We all have. Just that this is their moment today. And so, Lord, we ask that as they can identify the vow, the agreement, 
that they would name it, even just speak it out under their breath. And say, I, I, I name that, I, I've, I've agreed with that, and it's wrong. It's a lie. I'm not accepting that anymore. No, that's not the truth. That's not what Jesus says about me. That's not what Jesus has done. That's not who I am in Christ. And, and I'm sorry that I've accepted it. I'm sorry that I've believed it. I'm, I'm going to turn from that right now in the name of Jesus. And so I'm asking, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, the only name, that every vow and agreement that we're naming in our hearts right now will be broken in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. That we would break its power. Your word says that we can demolish strongholds with the weapons of prayer. And so in the name of Jesus, we bring down those strongholds in our lives. And I'm asking for you as you stand to, to, to find the positive, to find the, the opposite, to find the truth, the real truth, and just to begin to declare it over yourself. This is who I am. I mightn't feel that yet. It doesn't matter what you feel just now, but the truth matters. This is who I am. This is what's true. And Spirit of God, would you begin just to descend on these people as they stand? Would you seek out the pain the sadness, the hurt, the grief, the wounding. Would you be like a healing balm in those deep places, we pray. Spirit of God, would you come? Spirit of God, would you come? What you agree with now is so important. I'm asking, Lord, that you quicken people's spirits by your Holy Spirit to spot every agreement that's false every way in which they get drawn back to thinking in the old way, that they would fully take off the old self. Thank you for your healing power. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind. But now I see my chains are gone. I've been set free. God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, your mercy reigns. An ending love, amazing grace.